You're listening to www.straightindieradio.us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fireside Cat Fridays, sponsored by Parents of Public Schools of Syracuse, here on Straight Independent Radio, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you find us. We're talking about some important topics this week. First, we will address the differences between city schools and suburban schools here in the Syracuse area and why that matters. We'll also talk about how returning to more days of in-person learning is affecting our students and their mental health. I'm joined today by Rain Fitzgerald, who is a foster care home finder. She's also a Syracuse City School District graduate. And Rain, you have experience in working with families in the Syracuse City School District and other school districts in the county. Yes, um, um, the majority of our foster homes are in the city schools. Um, although myself, my personal experience after the third grade with my own children was um, is was in a suburban school. Um, I would like to compliment them. I am super duper not here today to bash the city schools, um, just to point out the glaring differences um, in the experience that I have had. I have many, many friends that are Syracuse City School District teachers that um, we have cried and shared many a glass. Um, they're super duper trying hard. Many a glass. This is a little glass. These were big glasses. That <laughs> we are, We're also joined today by Joshua King, who also has experience as a parent in both the city school districts and the suburban school district. Good so evening, Sam. Hi. How are yeah, you? I want to get started with asking you, Rain. What have you noticed are the differences between the city schools and the suburban schools in our area? So I think people are automatically going to expect me to bash the city schools. And I want to pour out the compliments first um, because some of the things that we think of, it's not always the, the education that's happening but the multiple things that the city has tried to do or does have in place. And some of those things are also school. Um, they, they change from school to school, which could be a, a, a big point of that they could do better. Um, the things that most glaringly go in my mind are things that wrap around this pandemic. Mm. Um, my son and I, early on in the pandemic, when we didn't know what quarantine exactly meant, um, where we were put on quarantine because Kareem had been exposed. And out here in the suburban schools, we were an island. Um, nobody checked in on us other than to tell us to stay home. And I'm having conversations with my girlfriends who are in the city schools. And she's like, they didn't send you a package. Nobody checked in on you. You know, they didn't leave anything at your door. Um, early on in the pandemic, the schools um, were very, very active um, when we didn't know what they were doing and trying um, to help the best way. Um, also things that we just take for granted 
um, or that was taken for granted for us out in the um, in the Syracuse or in the suburban area. Um, things like, okay, well, we didn't skip a beat. Here's your next assignment. Um, with the automatic assumption that my home was equipped with Wi-Fi and um, with computers and, and, and things like that, where it did take some time. And I totally understand the struggle when you're outfitting. I can't, I don't even know the number of students. Um, the city was much more conscious about it. They did a great job this year. Um, not so much in the very beginning because we didn't know what the plan was. Um, I want to give a big compliment as far as my job is concerned. When we have a student that comes in that is in foster care, they go have gone above and beyond to provide services and make sure the kid has the services and often staying in the same school. In a suburban school district, um, I'm again not here to bash any particular school district. But for instance, Liverpool, we know that if we have a foster parent in Liverpool and we have a brand new foster child, that foster child may be staying home for up to um, five weeks without a plan because they're not willing to or do not have the resources to meet the child's um, needs or IE or they don't know where to put that child. Um, so it's very, very interesting that um, we are often relieved. It's a city school. So if a child was say removed and gone to another county for a time and is coming back for a placement, that there is a continually continuity of care that the city schools does try. Um, the city schools understands that we're not teachers. Um, I'm not a teacher. I didn't go to school for that. Um, however, it was quite interesting, some of the expectations amidst the pandemic that were put in, on our families. A little more out here, um, I live in North Syracuse, there's Mannydale, which is, you know, the socioeconomic, you know, just above poverty. And then there are millionaires that live in, in Cicero. So, you know, I'm that one in, in the middle that they don't know what to do. <laughs> kind of expected that, you know, us that are in the 13212 and the 13211 um, area codes are able to do the same thing as 13041 um, because we get lumped together. Um, so those are some of the things that the city is, has just, they get it. They get that we're in poverty. They get that, you know, parents work, they get some of those things. But when I turn around and I then listen to some of my friends that are parents and some of the things that I hear them saying, I'm like, wait, why are you dealing with that? <laughs> um, that's not even a thing in, in, in suburban schools. Um, very large gaps in education. Um, and very large gaps in services and the, the way things are done. And I understand that some of that is, is finances, but as I start to slow down and really listen to those that have kids in public schools, like my heart just drops um, because again, I'm then not coming to the table as a service provider, um, you know, with a check off and a Medicaid billable, you know, asking them to do, I'm now coming as, um, as another friend um, or a parent partner or an advocate. And I'm going like, why is this happening? What um, are we doing here? 
Yes, because we're promising that we're going to give a certain level of services. So, and I'm, I don't sit on a school board, but I kind of understand some of the things that have happening. Um, Schools that used to have a different name and now they have a different name because they said, oh, we'll just give them this name and say that this service. So we also get excited as, oh yeah, a foster family that's in that, that's going to be their home school and they're going to send this kid to this school and we're going to get this. And it doesn't happen. Well, let's talk about that for a second, right? So I grew up and and went to a suburban school, um, you know, K through 12, go Red Rams, James will do it. One of our state's, you know, better schools, right? What we also know about that environment is, is as you you suggested, some of our suburban neighbors are ill-equipped to deal with some of the supports and services that are required. We know that things like um, the general conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the Academy of Excellence, we're talking about the ride, right? And making sure that representation is first, then inclusion, right? Diversity. And then we can discuss and build equity. Where I'm going with all of that is that we stand in a great opportunity to lean on each other, right? When we're looking at the dynamics of this county, there are roughly 62,000 students in our county and more than one third of them reside in the urban school district. One district surrounded by dozens of other districts that have resources, and then also have shortcomings and require some of what we are able to do here in Syracuse, because we do know we are dealing with trauma. We are dealing with all kinds of barriers, situations, and circumstances. One of the things that we really must do is complement and cooperate and collaborate with one another. There is absolutely no reason for that many students to be housed in one district and for students and families to effectually be fighting over crumbs that the state is providing per student. And we know that these dollars are not enough. We know that it's not meeting everyone's needs. Some people have abundance. Some people need more. And that shouldn't be a situation that that we should be comparing and contrasting. We ought to be collaborating and cooperating. One of, of the greatest ways in which we can advance students and families right here in Syracuse by creating relationships and building bridges, programs that would allow our students to study in other places, right? Why are we proposing a countywide high school in the middle of Syracuse when we ought to be just advocating for countywide schooling period so that all of our students are having their needs immediately met. I have heard a countywide school district described as the third rail 
apparently there are people who understand that hmm, this might be a good idea, but for other political reasons, perhaps, no one really wants to go there and, and have that conversation. And we have to go there, Samantha. Options and opportunities are what students and families require. The very same individuals who teach our students take our tax base out to the suburbs where their children are having abundance, where their children are, are not necessarily concerned about things like a computer or internet service. We scrambled here in Syracuse to make it happen for everyone who didn't have hundreds, if not thousands of students were without access to the most basic aspects of their educational experience. We know that we are in a technology phase and we are still missing the mark if we are not discussing opportunities for, for us to get a little bit more of an even playing field. We're asking them to compete against each other with standards that we know are inequitable. We're discussing that right now. They're disproportionate, disjointed, and disconnected. We're not having the right conversations. And quite frankly, the right people are not making the decisions. I think we may have lost rain for a moment, but um, my next question is how are you seeing these differences, and you've, you've touched on this a little bit, how are you seeing these differences impacting the students and the families in these different districts? I can only speak for my family. Mm -hmm. And as Rain said, I'm exceptionally grateful that we were in, in the city um, in the midst of COVID. Um, because I, 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 I am concerned about what that experience would have been like in the suburbs. I can only speak to, to our family and what it is that we need. And I can say that it certainly isn't about bashing Syracuse City School District. It's a larger, wider conversation as, as you are creating this platform to have some of these more difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. When we're constantly in a state of comparing ourselves to what appears to be the grass being greener. I've lived on both sides, both in DeWitt and in Syracuse. And to have such a wildly different experience in the classroom and then now with so many students who are not fully engaged in their experience right now due to the barriers, situations, and circumstances that were pre-existing, we have to do better and we have to do more. I think that certainly the ease and the benefit would go to the, the suburbs, right? Provided are, they are a family of abundance and or affluence, but our suburban districts also house 
quite a large and growing population of impoverished individuals who have relocated from Syracuse, right? Trying to seek out better options and opportunities for their kids. Uh, but then when you factor in additional needs or situations and circumstances, it's a very complex conversation and we have to have it in a much larger arena and across these imaginary boundaries yes. uh, that really penalize people and force, again, force us to fight over crumbs when we could be combining our resources. Rain, welcome back. We are discussing how these differences among the dis school districts are impacting students and families. And Josh, you make a great point in that we do need, the, need to have these conversations across the imaginary boundaries. And uh, you, you mentioned that in the suburban districts, there are growing populations of impoverished people. And I, I've read that one of the biggest determinations, determinators of the future success of a child is their zip code. So there seems to be the belief that if you just pick people up and put them down in a new zip code, then all of a sudden things are gonna change. But, but what about those who, who can't just pick up and go to another zip code? I'm privileged in that way, right? I grew up impoverished in the face of abundance. That's a different kind of upbringing, right? We know how to make something out of nothing. My family is quite blessed. We do very well for ourselves. And we do have the ability to just pick up and go, which is the plan B following the November election, right? Mm -hmm. In the grand scheme of things, as parents, we're not even necessarily fully aware of the full scope of what we're dealing with as it pertains to education, how this is all put together, right? How we are determining when where and why a student would advance or qualify for a service or, or just have their needs met. Mm -hmm. This is not something we can accomplish, right? But when I looked at my journey in education as a teacher only in an urban environment, it's astounding to see the discrepancies and the disparities right within our own district that there are vastly different schools in our district having completely different experiences. And it's unfortunate because we can all really benefit by again, crossing over these imaginary boundaries, right? And barriers, we can see some of the benefits that, that can come of again, a more collaborative and cooperative way of thinking. And we really need to address and dismantle some of the stronghold that the state of New York has over our public schools. Mm. Our teachers are burning out faster than ever. 
people aren't growing up anymore to say they want to be a teacher why we we look at we're stressed out we yeah. we look my teaching career was less than 3 years there wasn't even a certification involved that's how quickly somebody can burn out from the pressures of what we're asked to do with so little resources seeing these teachers reach into their pockets again rain told no lies syracuse city school district stepped up when COVID happened. My friends and colleagues scrambled like I've never seen people scramble before. I have never been more proud to be a teacher until COVID happened. And seeing how quickly individuals stepped out of what they thought they knew or how they were supposed to do things and just got it done. I saw people bringing computers to, to kids and working with students right through the window, if I had to, me, I'm talking about me. But in the bigger picture, so many students are not having their needs met, even the ones who appear as though they are. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's certainly the, the sense that Teachers in the Syracuse City School District are making heroic efforts to reach their students and to provide for their students' education. But somewhere in the mix, there's there's this disconnect. There's this missing support for those teachers who are making heroic efforts. And I, it's it's um it. I love that you mentioned the the issue with the state level control over our school districts. I have said on record before, and I'm going to say it again, that sometimes we just need to tell New York State Department of Education to go pound sand because the decisions that they're making do not seem to have any connection with what's going on on the ground. In, because it doesn't affect them. It, it doesn't affect them. Let's be honest, right? We have to have honest conversations. It doesn't affect the decision makers. You have the ability to live right in our city and then send your children somewhere else. It doesn't affect them, but it affects us all. It impacts us all. Every child who's left behind, it, that affects the, the top of the class, yeah. just as much as the top of the class is going to impact the lower level of the class, right? We're, we're, we're still not stepping up to the options and opportunities that we could be creating in a city that is manageable. We can manage these things much better under some different philosophies. Rain, I want to tap into you now that you're back. Um, you've been a bit quiet. So what are you seeing as, as the impact of this, of this divide between the school districts and the, the lack of communication and, and really the lack of control that we here in Syracuse have over what happens in our schools with our children. You're still on mute. 
sorry. I want to back up just a quick um, and, and talk about like when we talk about state level regulate regulations. So I'm regulated under OCFS and we get these weird checklists and I joke with people. This checklist has nothing to do with you. It has to do with somebody in New York City or somebody up in some area of Adirondacks. Um, you know, like it, it, there's almost like a checklist, like you can't have more than three, you know, empty cars. <laughs> and if you have, you know, um, your if your home has got a uh, fire, um, one of those things in, in New York City, a fire escape, you got it has to have lockable windows. So the idea of having a state mandated education system does not necessarily work from school district to school district because we are then punished for a regulation that has to happen in a rural area or an area in New York City. Yeah, I don't think it's fair. Now, I was one of the people. Um, I did not move because I wanted to be in a better neighborhood. Um, I moved because I had somebody help me to get to, uh, they offered to um, help pay for Kareem to go to a private school because we knew he had educational needs. Um, but we realized it might just be better to move to the suburbs. So I was one of those people when Kareem was in second grade. And it kind of ends up being a disservice um, to our children that we are leaving and, and, and making an exodus for lack of better words to the suburban schools because they may not be as representational. There's definitely um, almost no representation of the teachers, but it also put Kareem in a situation, and I hate to be the one to have to say that, where he is the, the, the darkest person in the room. Um, he had zero representation amongst his classes, his teachers, um, nothing when he was in the West Jenny School District. So then he stood out for a whole nother reason. And he, there was a loss of um, culture, just normality, some of the things that happen. And, you know, though that you wave, you wave the good of the education against what he lost, Ultimately, if we end up doing that, not only do we lose culture, neighborhoods, what we're familiar to, um, but you also lose tax dollars. <laughs> so when we made the choice to, um, after our house fire, um, I had the ability to buy a home. Um, I knew at that point Kareem was in the 10th grade um, because we were able to finish out West Jenny. I was a little nervous because it was the high school situation. I, I have no problem living in the city. I am not scared of living in the city. I will live in any neighborhood. And, and you know that's not my issue. I was very feel, fearful that he could not get those last few years of education. Now, it would have, knowing what I know now that we had you know COVID, I probably would have kept him because he's learning from home anyhow. But, um, I, I guess I said, said all of that to say when now I have a, an extra additional $782 in state taxes, I mean, sorry, in school taxes, um, because I made that decision to come out here. Um, what, what Josh is saying, it, it just resonates with me. So why can't my extra $782 be a giant umbrella 
to somebody that is just not too far away from me on Lemoyne Ave who was in city schools. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot more than just, we have money, we don't have money, we have privilege, we don't have privilege. There's a lot more that goes into it that is student-wide. And I've seen amidst pre-COVID, post-COVID, no matter where we go, the decisions that are being made, the kids are suffering. Yeah. And that as a mom is, it's the hardest for me to, to accept. Um, it, it really, I, I can't watch, it's hard to, and I'm not complaining, but it's hard to watch the kids suffer on any level. Um, I fight, when I walk into a room in the CNS district, it just people stop and they listen. Um, even when I'm probably being mostly unreasonable. I can't imagine being an unreasonable parent. Um, walking into one of the city schools, I'd probably get the police called on me if I said some of the things that I've said in some of the buildings, trying to advocate for my son. Um, and some of those glaring differences can be where our mental health is, um, at least where I can only speak for my house, me and my household, where my son's mental health is. Um, and that's why I'm not, I'm not an educator and I'm not a teacher and I'm not sitting on a school board, but I can only say that, you know, I, I see these disparities and the suffering with the kids and, and their parents, it's, it's just too much. It's a lot. I just wanna take a moment to remind everyone that you are watching Fireside Chat Fridays <clears throat> sponsored by Parents for Public Schools. You can find us on Straight Independent Radio and Facebook Live every Friday. Now, we've touched on this a little bit already. What would you want to see change so that city schools and suburban schools are on more equitable footing? Josh, if you want to start? Yeah, I'll jump in with that one. Again, I don't believe that we as families should have to sacrifice one thing to get the next, right? I shouldn't have to sacrifice, you know, exposure to culture and diversity and representation in order for my kids to have access to, you know, technology and other resources. In order for us to reach a place where we can even begin to create equity, more people have to join in in these kinds of conversations. More families have to step forward and take control of the experience um, of, of their child um, and fully embrace it. Most of us are working parents. So how much engagement do you really have with your, your children's teachers and counselors, administrators, right? Are there actual relationships, right? That can be exceptionally difficult. I've had to conduct parent conferences in a Burger King drive-through because those are the measures that I'm willing to take as an educator to make sure that student gets exactly what it is that he needs. When we're, those are 
not things that we should have to do, right? Where is the flexibility in education? Where is, you know, the true options and opportunities, right? As somebody who's been able to be blessed enough and privileged enough to work in every single one of our schools, there are some truly remarkable models that are being implemented here in Syracuse, right? But there's no resources to specifically back that up or expand upon that model, right? Oasis Academy is a classic example of that amazing model on paper, but without the resources to support what's on the paper, they can't execute what it is that, that we're expecting as a family, right? When I turn my children over to other people who in essence spend more time with my children than I do, that is something that parents really have to consider. How much do we really know about the processes, the procedures, the protocols that go into the experience of our children? That's how we create equity. We stand up, we, we listen and we pay attention and we push back at the system that essentially says we operate between this hour and this hour, right? But at the same time and token as an educator, we have families, right, too. So in order to cre create the equity that we're talking about or thinking about, again, we have to have a wider discussion that includes more people. Representation is paramount. A school board that is, is that small and limited in a district that is this large and complicated, right? It's complicated. Yeah. We have to stop doing the tap dancing and shucking and jiving and talking around these issues, right? We also have to, to really acknowledge things like the disparities within our own district and how vastly different schools like Syracuse Latin and STEAM at Dr. King are. It's unfair to all of those students for their experiences to be that different. Yeah. And Absolutely. it doesn't come down to who the actual educators or administrators are. They, some of these people are, in my opinion, I've come across thousands of educators in my career. I didn't intend to be a teacher or step into that arena, but I've worked around and worked with thousands across this state. Some of the very best are right here in Syracuse. At some of the schools that are really struggling. So what does that really say about our system or the way that we're doing things, both internally and then the external factor, which would be, of course, what the state and federal governments are asking of us as educators. We're not meeting anyone where they're at, including the folks who are living in abundance and or affluence in a suburban district, right? Let us not forget about our friends not too far off from places like Jamesville DeWitt or Fayetteville Manliness out in the rural communities 
right? Yeah. We're still not having a, a, a wide enough and straight enough conversation about these things and making sure that, that all of these young people are having their needs met. We cannot keep operating our systems for ourselves as adults. We need to be operating these systems on behalf of these children who are to take the reins from us. Thank you for that, Josh. You are always very direct. Rain, how about you? <clears throat> what would you like to see change for the benefit of all of our students? Um, so I'm not political and I don't understand how a lot of it works. I minimally would like to see BOCES programming be available for students that are at least sixth grade and up. I've seen some of the most amazing programming that has been available, um, alternative type high schooling, um, uh, programs that have the psychoeducational model, step down programs for children with autism. And, and it looks so different. And I don't know because I'm not an educator about what's happening in that you know K through six. But I see that, and that is one thing that for me, being a parent of a high school is blaringly unavailable. Um, why can't the city tap into BOCES? What would it take for them to have that type of programming? And I do understand in the city that they have redesigned how the high schools work. And um, I still don't know what I wanna be when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 44, um, but we are pretty much asking our students now at a high school level that they need to do that in order to pick the high school that they're going to. Yeah, I am not um, at all doing what I picked for myself in high school. Yeah, like <laughs> I went to I went to when back when they had it Central Tech, and was going to be a hairdresser, and then I decided I gave people way too much advice behind the chair, and that's probably what I should go to school for. But again probably not what's going to, I'm going to do in 20 years. Um, so I would like to see that be available. And I have no problem as a taxpayer shaking the sands so that they're spread equally. And that's probably a big giant political no-no for me to say that sitting here today, that God forbid we take the equity from the millionaire and give it to the person in poverty, but something big like that needs to happen because their son and my son and Josh's son uh, um, brothers are going to need to all work together. And there's going to be a, a have to be a fairness. Um, and that includes their ability. That includes how they work with each other. So that there's a giant change um, that is probably bigger than anybody would ever want to, to tackle. But I have no problem with those funds, my funds at least, um, and my taxes that I pay. I'm sorry, it's glaring when that tax bill went up for me. <laughs> it's very much on my mind. Yeah, I, I, um, I had a bit of a heart attack when I saw my last tax bill too. Yeah, well, you know, that's the glass of wine at the beginning of a call. Um, but, it, but it, let's talk about that for a second. Like the 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 intersection of what we're discussing with education, right? And the tax base. Mm. I would gladly love to be paying taxes, 
into the Syracuse City School District as a property owner here. The problem now becomes, how does that happen for a family of situation and circumstance? We're privileged, right? Yeah. But we do have barriers. And so in the grand scheme of things, again, it shouldn't boil down to any child zip code, right? My mother made a, made a decision and a sacrifice to find herself, right, impoverished, but just over the line, front door in DeWitt, back door in Syracuse. It turned out to be a blessing, but with that came a big responsibility as well. I could have decided to stay right up on that hilltop, looking down at the city. However, there's a lot of smoke coming from here. And what I'm not prepared to do is blow it up anybody's rear end. We're gonna keep it real and keep it straight, right? And use a wider, a wider worldview. We're asking them to contribute at a level that some of these children and families just will never reach because of the way that we are set up in our social structure and the systemic attack on poor people. We cannot continue to concentrate people into pockets of poverty and expect them to be able to compete with affluence or abundance. Why are we asking them to compete in the first place? They should be learning to cooperate and collaborate. We are selling our students short the opportunity to learn these things in real time. Having discussions with my 40 year old friends, right? I'm, I'm turning 40 this year. Lord, I thank you. I shouldn't have made it. And some of my friends didn't make it. And they didn't make it on account of mm -hmm. not having a full understanding or exposure to the rest of the world and understanding that they were just a part of a whole and that what was happening over in JD wasn't necessarily the case just around the corner, just down the street for some of their neighbors. And we can't continue to deprive ourselves of these opportunities to learn and grow from the experiences of each other. You make a great point about that. We are pitting our children against each other and kind of wringing our hands and scratching our heads when the children who have the least amount of resources available to them predictably loses. Again, Hunger Games was not a treatise on how to govern. Stop doing things like that to our children. Now, I want to transition and, and have a conversation because students in the Syracuse City School District are going to be returning to more days in person. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to, we're not going to be going to five days a week for everyone, but some kids who were had only one day will get two days. And some kids who had only two days will get four days. And for the students in certain special education programs, they were going four days and they're still gonna go four days. 
So Rain, you brought up a, a great concern, which is what is this, this transition so late in the school year? How is that impacting the mental health of our students as they have to make this pivot now to being in, in a physical classroom for more days each week? So we cannot deny that COVID, this pandemic has made everybody suffer just across the board everywhere. Um, if you came out of it and didn't have a mental health concern, I mean, whatever it is that you're drinking. Um, when we first started in the beginning of the school year, I, I said, I'm going to be hybrid. Kareem's going to go to school. We're going to make this normal. And that didn't work. So I pulled him out to be fully remote. Um, this last year, I was thinking about that previous to this conversation, has almost destroyed my relationship with my child. Um, not that we don't love each other and we're not giving and giggle and things like that, but because I am not a teacher, most definitely not a special ed teacher, um, and can't do the things that because I didn't have that background. We tried, but it was it was it was very stressful. So when we out here got the letter that so for CNS high schoolers, it'll be four days a week um, with Wednesday being the day that they're going to clean the building. Um, I actually made the choice for mental health reasons for our home to not send him back to the high school. So he does go half day to a BOCES construction program. Um, so that is um, absolutely, you know, he does go to a program where he interacts with people, but for the sake of mental health, this late in the game, and I know I'm not the popular person because I have friends that are cheering and counting down the seconds until these kids go back, okay? In my house, it was so disruptive trying to figure out, so he would be going back come Monday, um, you know, on a 645 bus with new people he has not met because he's only dealt with them virtually, new teachers, new programs, new, you got to set this amount. Of, I don't even know what the number of where, how far we can sit from each other in the minutes we have to wear a mask. It was too much. And we personally decided that we weren't ready. And I have gotten a lot of flack from other parents and people about this because I made this unpopular decision in order to protect my kids. We've gone, we have, I think, 11 and a half weeks. It's, it's depending between 10 and 12 weeks, depending on if you have a high schooler or, um, or a, um, somebody that's in the elementary school. Um, we're really gonna ruffle these feathers for 10 weeks. It, for me personally, it just made no sense knowing that normally we spend all summer, you know, July is your party month, you know, somewhere around the 10th of August or so, you start getting ready into a schedule or so. And then, you know, that week or right around the fair comes, you have fun, but you start getting ready to go to bed on time. What, how are we going to do that? I remember reading this letter and going, yeah, that's not going to happen because the stress level it gives a kid that is used to scheduling or a mom that has ADHD herself, it's, I'm not going to do it. I had to pull the plug on going back for this year. And I was gung ho. I was the first person who said, 
vaccine or not, whatever it is, we'll wear the mask, the hand sanitizer, I'll spray you down with Lysol when you come in the house. I was that mom, gung ho to send them to school. But I realize now that the chaos of not either not having it figured out or changing the rules because we have a new strain, I'm again, not a scientist either, um, that could happen along this way is too much. So I chose to be overprotective to my son who has ADHD and is on the spectrum because the change, we've done so many changes, so many changes of yes. what it, what is it, what is it, it you know, what's the science, mm -hmm. the science has changed, we bought toilet paper, we didn't buy toilet paper, like I, I don't even know anymore. Yeah. And I'm not willing for a 10, or 10 to 12 weeks to say, you know what? All right, I guess we'll figure it out for the last 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah, all of these changes are stressing me out as well. And I'm not looking forward to that transition on Monday morning when seven people have to go to seven different places. We're oh. actually not making that transition. We're staying home. Um, <laughs> and that's another consideration that I don't feel like we're embracing or discussing enough, right? Mm -hmm. I know, again, I can only speak for my family, but my children are not comfortable returning. Um, number one, this late in the year. And number two, in my opinion, it's just too soon. And so what is being done for a family like ours who has no intention of returning? Um, that's a great question. And I want to just give, you know, to anybody that's listening, I want to give honor to you, Josh, for your family, that you are able to make that decision. And because that shows that, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's taken a, a foresight that you made that decision that is right for your family. Um, and I would hope that again, it's also, you know, very personal because I'm making the same decision as you for close to the same reasons mm -hmm. is that we honor and build one each one another up for that decision that we have to make. Yeah. So for the yeah. first time in a very long time, we have been able to make this decision and take control of our family. Correct. And I think that, that there's something to be said about that, that, and, and thank you. For that, Rain, let me just be very clear to say that the decision does not come without sacrifice or consequence, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, in deciding to resign my position to make sure that my children had have all of their needs met. When we're speaking about the mental health of, of our, our young people, again, a very serious conversation um, that almost makes me giggle because we're still kind of tap dancing around that as well. Um, yes. Transitions are not something that, that this family handles very well. And so to return this late in the year would be disastrous for the pair of them. Um, luckily, I have young people who are very attuned with themselves and I listen to what it is that they're saying and not saying. And so deciding to stay home, um, again, some of the sacrifice uh, and consequence that comes with that is that they're not being able to build relationships with their peers. 
um, they're not being able to engage the same way they would in the classroom. Um, and, and despite the fact that both of mine um, are able to work quite independently, particularly Javante, who was so distracted by his experience in the classroom, he spent his time in the hallway by himself with his own desk in the hall teaching himself. So when you put that into context in options and opportunities, where is there for a student like that to go, right? Where, where the spaces and places that I recognize my, my two would excel in aren't available to this family. And that's a problem. It's a problem for this family and it's a problem for any family who could benefit from programs like Expeditionary Learning Middle School, Syracuse Latin Academy, H.W. Smith. We have, again, some of the best educators and administrators I've ever met in 20 years of my professional career. And they could do so much more if we were controlled a lot less yeah. in the ways that were asked to, to accomplish um, these goals, these missions, and this very wild vision um, that particularly as it relates to urban districts, um, whilst also ignoring the fact that some of these children will never leave their own neighborhood. In my family, I'm the one who doesn't want to go back to school. My kids are all like, yeah, sure, we'll give it a try. We'll see what happens. And like, okay. It, it's hard giving your children freedom to make decisions because sometimes they make decisions you don't like. But it is a, a, a big concern of mine. And I think everyone should have this at the forefront of their mind. It, this is going to be a hard transition for a lot of students. And in a, in a typical school year, regular school year, they start in September, round about November, everybody's figured out what's going on and, and, and they're comfortable and they know what's what. We aren't gonna have that because by the time they get to that space, school year's over. And we already know that there is a youth mental health crisis on in this country, and it has been exacerbated by the pandemic. And it is so, so important for our educators, for parents, for caregivers to be aware that those kids that are walking through those classroom doors, they have a brain, they have feelings and emotions that have been impacted by everything that has happened in their whole lives. And so any educators that are listening, Thank give you. your students a lot of grace. And give yourself. yourself a lot yes. of grace. I just like Sam, you taught me that, right? Show yourself some grace um, to all of the educators and administrators who might be listening to this broadcast. Again, I can't emphasize how important your role is 
um, to our, our future and our existence. And we see you and we hear you and we love you and we appreciate what it is that you sacrifice um, in order to do what it is that you love to do. Teaching is not a job. It, it, it's a feeling. It's, a, it's, a, it's an action, right? It's, it's not something that anybody gets into just on a whim. These are very special people who yes. make hugely um, expensive <laughs> sacrifices mm. um, and really are responsible for what's to come. And I want educators to have a larger voice and to be able to be more autonomous and influential in what it is that's happening in their own classrooms. There's a lot to contend with in the ways of policies, procedures, and protocols that really uh, prohibit everyone's experiences. So we're almost to the stretch. June is almost here and people will be able to at least exhale, but it, it, it happens so quickly. Um, we saw that with COVID, right? By the time anybody was able to catch their breath, it was September and, and we still weren't ready for what's to come. And, and these discussions, this platform, these conversations are vital to uh, provide a, a more complete understanding of what we're up against. To the mayoral candidates, now would be an exceptional time for you to leverage the power to intervene. We have some dynamic leaders who are able to do much more in the ways of supporting Syracuse City School District. And this is a personal plea to our current mayor and the two who believe that they're better for the job. You have got to intervene in oversight and help redesign what it is that's happening at Syracuse City School District. We do not need to reimagine education. We know what education is. We need to redefine what that means and re-solidify the futures of these young people. Thank you, Rain and Josh, for joining me on Fireside Chat Fridays, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse. You can hear us on Straight Independent Radio, and we're live on Facebook every week at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you both for your time, and thank you to our audience for joining us. We'll see you next week.